the things of the world, <clears throat> that we need to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord of hosts. For the world will look at us, and if we are no different than them, they will wonder why they have to believe. So Lord, make us shining examples of what it means to have the Spirit of the living God within us. May you live out the life of Jesus in us. Now, Lord, we just, we worship you because you are worthy of our worship. And we worship you as we give to you. This is not a drudgery. This is not an obligation. 
This is an act of worship. For everything that we have belongs to you. And yet, you only ask us to give back into the kingdom of God. And we do that because we want to see the kingdom of God expanded. And so it is with joy that we give to you. May you give wisdom so that they, the money may be used to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody put the house lights up for me. And we can just, Tim, can you just dim those? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other dim. <laughs> All right, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, eternal and it is always true. And I just pray that as we gather together today and we look into your word, that you will speak to our hearts. I know that you have something that you want to say to us. We're your church. We're the body of Christ. We're a part of the body of Christ. And I know that you have something that you want to have us hear. So by the power of your spirit, would you accomplish that? In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing to look at the book of Romans, and we are today in Romans chapter 7. There's been a lot of, uh, a lot of debate, a lot of um, differences of theology or differences of ideas as to what was Paul's spiritual condition when he was talking about Romans chapter 7, depending on, you know, which group set of people you, you listen to, you will, you will get differing uh, ideas. We're just going to talk about Romans 7 this morning. One of the things that you cannot come away after having just even reading Romans 7 you cannot come away with the idea that that's where God wants you to live. 
regardless of what you think about other things, uh, what other people may say about what Paul's spiritual, what he was talking about, what you can absolutely come away with is to know that God never intended for you to be stuck in Romans 7. And we'll see that as we go along. Because if that were the case, there would be no room for, there would be no need for Romans 8. And next week, as we go into Romans 8, you, you just you don't want to miss this because Romans 8 is just, just such a powerful, powerful chapter of Scripture. But to remind you from last week, we, when we were in chapter 6, this was the theme of chapter 6. It, there were literally three, three themes. We need not sin, we must not sin, and we dare not sin. There are the three themes there. But the, one of the key verses there is Romans 6.14. He says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, how did we get out from under the law and under grace? And that's what Paul tries to explain to us in chapter 7 of Romans. He, he is trying to explain to us the concept of coming out from under the law or having the law no, no longer be our, our master, but we are now under grace. And he uses a very common analogy, and that is marriage. And he says this, Do you not know, brothers... For I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. Well, that makes sense. The law no longer has any effect on you or I after we're gone. doesn't matter what the law is. It has no impact on us after we're gone. So, he says, you need to understand that that the law only has an impact on someone as long as they're alive. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But, if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Okay? That's, and according to the scripture... Listen, I know, I know that there's a lot, a lot of people here that have, that have suffered at the hands of divorce. Okay? I, I get it. Okay? From, a, from a, a purely biblical point of view, that's not what God ever intended. Okay? I want you to just understand. That's not what God ever intended. But we live in a broken world. Okay? We are broken people. And that there, there are times when that brokenness manifests itself in broken relationships. Doesn't broken relationships between brothers and sisters, broken relationships between fathers and daughters and mothers and sons and so forth, and, and broken relationships in between husbands and wives. It is, it is a part of the fact that we are part of a broken world. And it is not unredeemable. Okay? It is not unredeemable. But <clears throat> when Paul's talking here, he's talking in the strictest sense of what the law states. And, and, and God's law about this was stated back in, in Genesis for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Paul is talking from that, from that viewpoint. And she, he says that as long as the hus her husband is alive, she's bound to him. Okay? But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. She go he goes on. So then, 
If she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So the concept here is, is the common thread here is death. If a, if a man dies, he's no longer affected by the law. Here, if a man dies, his wife is no longer impacted by the law that says she needs to stay with him as long as he's alive. The, the common thread is death. That's the, that's the great equalizer. Okay? So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Do you see the common denominator again? The common denominator here again is death. This time, it was your death. Not your physical death, but the, but the death of your old nature, because you'll remember back in the beginning of chapter 6, Paul says, don't you know that you are dead to sin? Reckon that you're likewise that you are dead to sin. You died. You were buried with Christ in baptism, and you were raised to new life. There was a there was a spiritual death that took place. Your old nature died. He says, so my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. The law did not die. You died. And because you died with Christ in the body of Christ or through the body of Christ, because you died, the law no longer has an impact on you. It no longer has its effect because you have died. And you have been, and the reason that you died to the law was so that you could be joined together with someone else. Joined together with someone else. The one who was raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit to God. Now we've been discussing this quite a bit as we've looked at Romans. And we know that here, the problem here, and we're going to get into this just a little bit more, there is a, there is a real difference between life in the Spirit and life with the law. Let's go on. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I'm just going to very briefly say this again to you, because you should never not hear this. When all we had was the law, there was no internal power for us to keep the law. There was nothing in us that could stand against the sinful nature, and the rules that told us how wrong we were. There was no internal power. So all the rules in the world weren't going to make a difference. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And what would happen? They shalt. It's what happens. Why? Because there was that sinful condition that we've all were, we were all born with. And we talked about that when we were back in chapter, in chapter 5. And we, we talked about how that came about through Adam. He said, but we're not going there now. We are, we've been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. What did, what did the Bible say in the Old Testament? The Bible, Jesus, sorry, God the Father said in the Old Testament, 
My intentions, here are my intentions. This is what I've always intended to do. My intentions are to give you a heart of flesh. My intentions are to remove your heart of stone. My intentions are to write my laws on your heart. They're going to be different than these external rules. I'm going to write them on your heart. That is the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now, just to make sure, Paul Paul wants to make sure that the people that he he is writing to, and, and like you, that they do not think that somehow the law was bad. Oh, it's the law's fault. Oh, if God just hadn't given the law, then everything would have been okay. We could just be doing whatever we want, and, the, and we wouldn't be held accountable. He goes, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Where was the problem? The problem was internally in Paul. The problem is internally in us. Here's what Paul's telling us here. And it's, 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 it's important that we understand this because this is what we've come out of. This is what is no longer impacting us. <clears throat> he said, I was going along really well. I was doing really fine. <clears throat> there were no problems. And then all of a sudden I read, Thou shalt not covet. And I said, wow, I've been coveting, but the Bible, the law says I shouldn't covet. What happened? Did he stop coveting immediately? No. He said here was the problem. The law which was, which was supposed to bring life actually brought death because when the law said thou shalt not covet, I was suddenly guilty of the law and it brought sin into my life because now I knew what I should do and what I shouldn't do and I, and I kept on doing it. And it became a problem for me. Now I was living in sin because I was disobeying the law. And before that, I was doing fine. He said, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. The problem is with me. He goes on. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. There's no, Paul says here, it wasn't until sin produced death in me that I realized how utterly sinful sin is. And I've been saying this to you for a long, for a long time, and I'm going to say it again. The cross of Jesus Christ There is really no way that we can properly um, 
portray the horror and the obscenity and the, the, the terror of the cross. Now, i got to tell you, the movie The Passion of Christ that was done several years ago probably came as close to anything. I could, I could barely watch it. It was, it was masterfully done in showing the, the horror, the agony, the obscenity of the cross. But even it, I believe, fell far short of, of actually witnessing something like that happening. Listen, here's, what I'm, here's my point. The cross of Jesus Christ was necessary because of the sinfulness of sin. You see, that was the... When, when, you, when you come to realize that, that yours and my sinfulness is what put Jesus on the cross. The cross was necessary because of the condition we were in. The cross is, is proof, it's living proof that the price for our salvation, the price for our freedom, the price for us to come from under the law and go under grace was so powerful and so extensive that the only thing that could pay for that was the death of God's only Son and His shed blood on the cross was what was going to finally pay that debt forever. It wasn't, and I, and I don't say this to people that I don't believe to understand this, but his, his death was not His own. His death was ours. His punishment was ours. He was bruised for our transgression. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. It was all about us. And Paul said, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now listen, here he goes. Here's where there's some confusion. But above all, I know that God doesn't want us living here. Okay? Regardless of what you may think about Paul or what, uh, the, his situation, God does not want you living here. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. So here's the dilemma. We'll use what Paul says earlier. He says, I read, thou shalt not covet. And I know, I know that coveting is wrong. I've read it in the law. Shall not covet your, your neighbor's wife. You should not cover your neighbor's house. You should not covet. You should not wish that their house, their wife, or their kids, or their cattle, or whatever was yours. That's a precursor to theft. It's a precursor to, to all other manner of sin when we think that what someone else has should be ours. He said, I get it. I'm not supposed to do that. And you know what? I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because God doesn't want me to do it. I'm, I'm in alignment with the purpose of what God's Word is saying. I don't want to do it. But it doesn't stop me from doing it. It doesn't stop me from being frustrated by the fact that 
I know I shouldn't do this. And I don't even want to do it, but I find myself doing it. And I've come to the point, I agree that the law is good. That's a right law. There's nothing wrong with the law. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. It is the sin living in me. Now here's where the rub comes. There are those who say that at this point in time, Paul was talking about before his conversion to Jesus. And there are others who say, no, he's talking about himself as a believer, but he's struggling against the effects of sin. That's where the two rubs come together. That's where the two disagreements come. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. Let me ask you a question. This is just, again, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not going to enter into the debate about whether Paul's saved or whether he's, this is prior to his uh, regeneration uh, on his Damascus Road experience. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about that. What I care about is, would you agree, would you agree that, that that's not where God wants you? Can, can, can we agree on that? Can we agree that that is not where God wants you to be living in relationship to Him? That, that Jesus did not save us in our sins. He saved us from our sins. That the, that, would you agree that the Jesus' death on the cross was so encompassing and so powerful and so life-changing and, and it was the most important event in the history of mankind when God had His Son nailed to the cross and He died for us to change us completely. Is it, is it just me? Or do you... can? Can you get to the point where in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, if any man is in Christ, he is a... He is a... A new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Or if we just went back one chapter where... Paul is writing and he says, Do you not know that your old nature was crucified? He says that. Folks, here's what we got to do. Just hang on a minute. Just hang on. Don't. We got to stop. Seriously. We have to stop listening to what somebody says and listen to the Word. You say, that that, that includes you. Yes, it includes me. If I'm telling you something that the Word doesn't say, the Bible says your old man is crucified. If your old man is crucified, what is it? Dead. It's dead. I want to, I, you know, I, I don't do this very often, but I just hear you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here, I want you to say these words. My old man is crucified. He is dead. Listen, 
you got to start believing that to the point where it begins to affect your behavior and your attitude and your understanding. See, it's one thing to... See, when we hear what God's Word says, that changes everything. See, it, it doesn't matter what, it, what somebody over here said, well, you know what? See, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, that phrase, it's no longer I, but the sin that dwells within me, when I was growing up, that was an excuse. See? That was an excuse. Oh, well, I, I really want to do what's right. And, and, and I really want to. I really want to obey God, but I just, I just can't. And and so I'm not responsible anymore. It's because it's not me. It's not me. I'm innocent. I'm innocent because it's the sin that's within me. That's the culprit. I so it became an excuse for misbehavior, it may be for disobedience, for not living in victory. It became an excuse. Oh, it's not me. I can't be held accountable. It's the sin. But Jesus came to save you from your sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to, to make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. If... if I've got to tell you, if Jesus died on the cross and that's the best He could do, I want another religion. I want a different faith. If that's the best He could do, that He's just going to die on the cross and He's just going to let me in that sort of a condition. I want something else. Please don't misunderstand me. He didn't. Mankind has, has taken that and said, oh, here's, I, here's where I'm, I, I just can't do anything about this. Is, it just is what it is. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a, you know, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner saved by grace. No. I'm, I was a sinner and now I am saved by grace. And the Bible says that when God planted His seed in me, I can not any longer live a continuous life of sin. I cannot live a lifestyle of sin and have the seed of God planted in me. Have I done anything wrong? Since, of course. But it's not an excuse. You do something wrong, you repent, you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. I got careless. Whatever, whatever it is, you don't just say, oh, well, Lord, you know, I, it's that old sin that's living within me. You know, I'll probably do it again. No. Lord, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball. I, 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 I got careless. But I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then, I mean, he just, he, he, there's almost a desperation there, but the desperation is in preparation for the proclamation that he's about to make. Should I say that again? I don't know if I can. <laughs> the, this this uh, declaration is in preparation for the proclamation that he's about to make. He goes, what a wretched man I am. How 
horrible it is to live this way. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is deliverance from the body of death that continually causes us to want to go the opposite way than what God is saying to us. He says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And I want to just tell you this right now. God, God wants you to be aware. And, 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 and many of us, if we're going to be honest with one another, we'll go back into chapter 7 and we'll go, hey, I've been there. I've been there. And if we just stop there right now, what a discouraging, what a discouraging message. I just want you to understand that God doesn't want you to live there because the next verse, which is Romans 8, chapter 1, says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we will talk about that next week. Listen, thanks be to God... Through Jesus Christ our Lord, He's the one who is going to set us free from this body of sin and death. And there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus today, there is no condemnation. Amen. Oh, y'all don't sound very convinced. There's no condemnation. Why? Because you've been set free from the body of sin and death. Your death in the body of Christ has made the law of no effect on you. You have been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit... The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I, I just can't get, I can't get past that every time I think about the Spirit of God that lives in each one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. It is the same Spirit that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That mighty power is at work in us. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Hello? That's an amen. That's a hallelujah. It is a wonderful thing to say that's where I used to live. Here's where I live now. It's a wonderful thing to say that's where I used to live. Here's where I live now. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time in Your Word today. Thank You so much for all of the things that have become available to us through the, through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You went through all of that and then You went back to heaven. You said, I've got to go. I've got to go back to heaven because if I don't go, I can't send you the comforter. And so you went back and you sent the Spirit of the living God. He, the same Spirit that God used to raise you from the dead now dwells in us. Thank you. We cannot live our lives in victory without your precious Holy Spirit. And we just thank you for making Him available to, and the work that He does in our hearts and lives. We thank You and we praise You. Lord, I just pray for each and every person that's here today. And I just pray, Lord, that, that by faith, by faith, they will receive the truth of this passage of Scripture and they will determine in their, in their hearts and minds that living in Romans 7 is not where you want them. And the truth is, 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for guilt-free, condemnation-free living in the Spirit. Oh, Lord, before we go, we just want to we, we, we want to pray. First of all, we want to pray for, for Mary Sprague's family. Lord, um, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. And Lord, I know that Mary knew You and she was ready to go. She said, I know where I'm going. I'm ready to go. And I know, Lord, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. With that, we are filled with joy. We pray for her family. You know her concern for her own family. That they were not believers. So Lord, we pray. Your, your mercy and your grace are profound. The power of your spirit is unfathomable. And you are able to break down every objection and every uh, attitude of arrogance or whatever it may be, Lord. You are able to break down that and penetrate into the hearts and the spirits of her family that they may come to a point where they realize that they need you as a Savior. We pray for that, Lord. Pray for the opportunities to minister during this time of of sadness to them. Lord, we pray for the ministries of this church that you've so graciously allowed us to be a part of. We pray for Love Serves. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry that they're doing in the Dominican Republic. Thank you for allowing us to be involved in that, and we just pray for continued um, reports of souls being saved there, literally by the hundreds, and we thank you. And we we pray, Lord, for the mission trips that are going back and forth, uh, for their protection and their safety, Lord, and may they accomplish their tasks. We pray for the prison ministry, Lord, for Brother Art and his staff. We just ask that you would continue to bless them as they take the gospel into uh, some very dark places where there are some very hungry and needy people that are anxious to hear that somebody loves them, somebody died for them, and they can have a new life. And we just pray for the prison ministry, pray for the transitional center, and we pray, Lord, as we go there on this coming Saturday, that you will, that you will fill that little room with, with uh, ladies that need to hear whatever it is that you uh, lay on our heart, that you will go ahead of us by your Spirit and prepare their hearts. We pray that not one single girl will ever leave that place without knowing you as their Lord and Savior. And then, Father, we pray for, uh, for Todd and Shelley uh, as they minister in the Middle East. We know this is a, some high holy days in the Muslim faith right now. And Lord, I just we join them in prayer. We join them in praying that you will reveal Jesus to these precious people who are... Who, who have a, a wrong concept of God and they have a, a wrong concept of, of who you are, Jesus. I just pray that your Spirit will visit them and minister to them and show them the truth of, of a loving God full of mercy and whose Son died for them and rose again even while they were still sinners. I pray for Todd and Shelley's protection and Lord, give them opportunities to share your good news. Pray for Chris Garris in Thailand. Lord, we just thank you for Chris and uh, Lord, we just pray for her and Silk as they are establishing house churches and uh, baptizing and doing storytelling and worship services and Lord, they just have so many things going on and we just pray, Lord, that it will all bear fruit we thank you for their, her willingness to go there and serve you in that capacity. Thank you, Lord, for our, our daycare. Thank you for uh, blessing it and using it to touch the lives of families throughout this community. We pray, especially now, Lord, for a vacation Bible school coming up in another week or so. Pray that you'd fill this place with, 
with uh, children eager to learn, and may your spirit just permeate this place with all the helpers in each child that they will be touched by the power of God. And now I pray that you'll take us from this place. And Lord, help us to just be a good example of what it looks like to have the Spirit of God living the life of Jesus through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.